All right, so we're going to start a brand new study in the book of Philippians today. So I want to encourage you, um, read the book of Philippians. It is a very, very short book. It is a jewel right there in the middle of the New Testament. I want to encourage you, read it every day. It'll take you about five minutes maximum to read that entire book of the Bible. Read it every day and to get your head around that. But here's how I want to start our discussion today. Whether we want to admit it or not, there are voices in our heads. There are voices in our heads, uh, a million of them, and they never stop talking. We have voices in our heads that are constant, and they never shut up. Now, I'm not talking about the hallucination, audible voices. That's a medical condition, right? I'm talking about just the chatter in our heads that never stops. The only time the chatter in our head stops is when we start talking. I can't talk to you right now and have chatter in my head, but as soon as I stop talking, there it goes. We're always talking to ourselves, right? It's self-talk. It is, it is chatter in our heads, and it doesn't stop. That's just normal, natural. Well, why? Because our heads are full of information. Our brains are full of every, every, everything we've ever experienced, every conversation we've ever had, anything we've ever done, our own thoughts that we just kind of make up. It's all in our brain, and our brain just spills things always in our minds. During the day, it's self-talk. During the night, it's dreaming, and it never, ever stops. Our brains are just amazing machines, right, by the hand of God. So this self-talk never stops. Now, sometimes that self-talk can be very helpful. Sometimes we have thoughts that are cool and helpful, like, hey, you're a likable enough person. Ooh, thank you for that thought, self. Um, you're a beautiful person. You're valuable. You have something to contribute. You have a talent. You're important. You have a purpose. Life matters. People love you. You belong to a community. And you've got this. You've got this. Whatever you're going to do, you've got it. You'll be good. Those are great positive things that just pop up into our head. And when that happens, hey, seize that. That's very, very cool. But there's other times the chatter in our head gets pretty negative. Things like, you know what? Nobody really likes you as you are. You got to kind of fake it. You're not very attractive. Your life doesn't really matter too much. You have not, you don't have much of value to offer. Your life doesn't have a real purpose. You're a disappointment. You don't measure up to others. You're a failure. You're not really loved as you are. You don't belong. And you can't do it. Whatever you're facing, you can't do it. Those things pop up in our heads also. So this self-chatter can be incredibly positive and life-giving and incredibly negative and destructive. It's very important to know that the chatter in our brains isn't necessarily us. The chatter in our brains isn't necessarily us. And the chatter in our brains isn't necessarily true. The chatter in our brain is just the brain dumping out information, right? And that information came from a lot of sources. Sometimes that self-chatter comes from our parents, our upbringing. If you were raised in a wonderfully supportive environment of unconditional love, then you've been given a lot of good things for your brain to chew on and spit out, right? But if your upbringing came with a mixed bag or some destructive stuff or even things like abuse and rejection and loneliness, then your brain is filled with toxic things that spill out in its own chatter. So your brain chatter isn't necessarily you. It's, it's the sum total of everything everybody has poured into your life. Your brain chatter can also come from everything you've ever done, every experience you've ever had, every conversation, every relationship, every success, every failure, every grade you've ever gotten in school, everything you've ever done in every sporting event, every job, everything you've done in public or in private is all populating your brain and it's spilling out in chatter. 
So what's been poured into us is part of the chatter. What we've done is part of the chatter, and you're wired a certain way. Some of you are wired more optimistically, so your brain chatters more optimistic. Some of you are more pessimistic, right? So your brain chatters a little more pessimistic. Some of you guys are jovial, you know? Some of you are more melancholy, and your personality just kind of pours into your brain through chatter. It's a very complicated thing up here, right? This is why the Bible is very clear about controlling the mind and transforming the mind, because chatter pops in all over the place. The question is, what do we reject and what do we keep? Because all this chatter isn't necessarily from us, and it isn't necessarily true. That means with all this self-talk going on, we've got a lot to throw away and a lot to seize. That's why I love 2 Corinthians 10.5. The Apostle Paul's talking about all the chatter in our brains and says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. There's a lot of stuff that's just chatter, arguments and opinions that we have to destroy and then take every thought captive to obey Christ. Where are the thoughts that are good? Where are the thoughts that are noble? Where are the thoughts that are true? And we are going to seize those. So a lot of our thoughts need to be destroyed, and a lot of our thoughts need to be seized. Philippians is all about seizing the good, honorable, noble thoughts, the things that God wants us to truly know, the things that God wants us to build our life upon. It's in the book of Philippians. It's basically a giant encouragement to us to think correctly. That's what Philippians is all about. So essentially, next slide here, it's about this title, You've Got This. Oops. Go to the next, the previous slide. Oh, the, the next one. There we go. <laughs> I never actually show the title as a slide, so that's, they're, they're wondering what my problem is, and that's a long list. <laughs> You've Got This is what God is telling us through the book of Philippians. This is what God wants in our brains. You've got this. You, I, God is going to give us every bit of confidence that we need through the book of Philippians, to tackle life. We're going to destroy the negative thoughts and we're going to seize the positive thoughts, right? So here's the goal of the book of Philippians. What if disappointment and discouragement was replaced with contentment and confidence? That's the goal of our study of Philippians. Short book, short study, short series, just a five-week series. This is the goal. Thoughts of disappointment and discouragement replaced with thoughts of contentment and confidence. That's radically transforming, don't you think? If we could destroy the thoughts that are negative and seize the thoughts that are positive and God-honoring, wouldn't our life be radically different? It absolutely would. So let's start tackling this book here. Verse 1 of Philippians 1 says this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the introduction. This is his greeting. Now, it's a pretty standard greeting uh, from the letters of the Apostle Paul. A lot of the greetings to the seven churches he writes to in the New Testament have a similar introduction. There's a couple things that are just interesting to take a look at. First of all, Paul says Paul and Timothy. That means he has an apprentice. We know Timothy is his apprentice. Uh, the reality is Paul's not going to be around for very long, right? In fact, he's writing this from prison. He's being persecuted for his ministry. He's in prison. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die. So he binds himself with an apprentice and says, hey, if Timothy comes to you, he's me, right? Just treat him as though he was me. He's an apprentice. And then he also says, we are servants. Paul and Timothy, servants. And that's really what leadership is, right? Christian leadership is about service. If we look to Jesus Christ as our example, 
He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. And so if we're going to step up into leadership at any level in the church, we're going to volunteer, uh, we're going to lead a ministry, we're going to serve on the board, volunteer, pastor, deacon, whatever it is. If we're going to lead, we are here to serve. It's about bearing burdens. It's a quest really for the bottom, not the top. Bear more burdens. Help other people. So Paul is giving us an example of leadership. Show up to serve and have an apprentice. I want to encourage you. We have about 1,000 volunteers or more here at Rancho. Wherever you serve here at Rancho, I want to encourage you. Be a servant, a servant's heart, and try to get an apprentice alongside. Hey, come with me in this ministry. Let me show you the ropes. Then he says, I'm writing to all the saints at Philippi. What percentage, this is a trick question, what percentage of the church at Philippi do you think were saints? What is it? 100%. Nice job. Give yourself a high five. All right, there you go. 100%. In the church of Jesus Christ, 100% of us are saints. Now, you may have come from a religious background. There are two major religions on the planet that, that have sainthood. And sainthood is an arduous task of committees and councils examining every detail of a man or woman's life. And their life needs to be near perfection. And they had to have had visions from God or, or perform miracles or transform whole areas of society, right? And then after decades of careful consideration, they would be dubbed a saint. And when they're dubbed a saint, then maybe you could pray through them to get to God, right? There's just a lot of systems around sainthood. Scripture is very clear. All of us are saints. You are sitting in a room of about a thousand saints. Isn't that cool? Now, don't pray through each other to get to God. That's not, not good. We, are, we have direct access through Christ, right? You're a saint. And I know some of your chatter in your head is saying, I'm no saint. <laughs> if this council, wherever they are, looks at my life, I am not going to make, you know, past the first committee meeting. They, you know, my life's kind of a mess. Sainthood has nothing to do with your qualifications. Sainthood has everything to do with what God has done for you. We can't work ourselves up to sainthood. God says, just trust me, I declare you a saint. You're a saint. Well, how can I be a saint? I've messed up in life. You're a saint because I have determined that you are forgiven. I have forgiven you through Jesus Christ. He took your failures. He took your faults. He took your flaws, died for it. You're good. You're good. In God's eyes, you're perfect. In God's eyes, you're his perfect son. In God's eyes, you're his perfect daughter. You are perfect. You're a saint. God says, you just have to trust me on that. Yeah, but my head chatter says I'm a failure. Change the head chatter. Believe what God says. You are a saint. So this is the first point of Philippians 1 in terms of the new chatter in our head. The new chatter in our head needs to say you're a saint, a perfect child of God, worthy of every bit of love, acceptance, and privilege of a son or daughter of the Almighty God. This is who you are. Then the Apostle Paul goes right into this next part of his greeting. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. These two words, grace and peace, are so foundational to who we are as followers of Christ. Grace is simply God's forgiveness without cost or condition. God's forgiveness without cost or or condition. There's nothing you can do to earn forgiveness. Nothing. God just gives it to you. Here, you're forgiven. Jesus Christ did all the work on the cross. He paid the penalty for your sin. You are forgiven. There's nothing that separates you from me. Just trust me. You have my forgiving grace. As a result, you have peace. Peace is very simply a feeling of tranquility deeply rooted in God's unchanging love. God does not love you more or less based on what you do or don't do. You simply are a saint given grace and peace freely. Here you go. We say, okay, thanks. I'll take it. That's belief. I'm just going to believe what God says. 
God says I'm a saint, I'm a saint. God says I have grace, I have grace. God says I have peace, I'm gonna seize that peace. That's the chatter in our head. Everything in our head that says we don't deserve it, we're not worthy, we're not lovable, God rejects us, and, and he's disappointed in us, and he's condemned us, and he's ruining our lives because of the things that we've done, that all has to be destroyed. You're a saint. You have God's grace. You have God's peace unconditionally. So the grace of God and the peace of God is yours without condition. Then the Apostle Paul talks about how this works out together as a church. So he says this in Philippians 1.3, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The Apostle Paul is excited about this church. So excited about this church. There's a camaraderie there. There's a love there because they understand their saints. They understand God's grace. They understand God's peace. And they, and they share that with each other. So the whole church is full of grace and peace. Isn't that a cool thing to be a part of a big community that's just, just swimming in grace and peace and, and joy for each other? Now, life wasn't all going well. Paul's in prison. Uh, the psychopath Emperor Nero was persecuting Christians and persecuting leaders. So they were under serious threat. They were suffering. Yet they understood the gospel. They understood this message that they're saints. They're declared perfect sons and daughters, that they have grace, that they have peace without condition because of God's unchanging love. And so there is great pleasure in their community for one another, a great pleasure. Before we get into too many details about that community, I just want to give you a little primer. I'll show you a map on the side screen of uh, where Philippi is. You kind of see how the gospel, the good news of Christ, moves. Um, it really centered in Jerusalem with the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, the first church started in Jerusalem. The apostle Paul was converted to Christianity in Damascus. From there, they set up a missionary base in Antioch. From Antioch, Paul and Timothy, uh, Barnabas, all the Silas, all the uh, apostle missionaries went in, throughout the Roman Empire to Galatia, Colossae, Ephesus, Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, and Rome. Those are the seven uh, churches that are uh, written to in the New Testament. Philippi is right there in the middle, uh, near the coast of Greece. It looked something like that. It was uh, near lush farmland. It was also a gold mining community. There's a lot of gold in the surrounding hills, and it was uh, very prosperous as a result. It was a good trading route and a, a place of uh, gold mining, and so it was quite uh, prosperous. Um, you can visit Philippi now if you want. That road that comes right through there is that road right there. So that's Philippi today. Not real livable, but uh, anyway, a lot of good ruins there. Um, about half of the city uh, has been uh, unearthed, including the amphitheater on the upper right uh, so that's a little bit about the church, but the church was more than its economy. The church was more than its gold and uh, more than its um, kind of passed through in the Roman Empire. It was really a church that was increasingly defined by their Christian faith. By the 6th century, uh, the, church, the city was nearly 100% Christian because it took root through the Apostle Paul and over the next 600 years, it took a while, but the entire city essentially became a Christian city. That's because the power of the gospel is so powerful to transform lives. So the church of Philippi was a great partner with the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 16, Paul receives a vision that he felt was from God, a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, Paul, you need to come to Macedonia. And Paul took that as a vision from God to say, hey, Macedonia is eagerly accepting you and wants you to be here. The capital city of Macedonia was Philippi. So Paul goes to Philippi. The first convert in Philippi was a woman named Lydia. 
Uh, Lydia was a great leader. She, al- she already knew about the God of, of Israel. She already knew about Jehovah. When the Apostle Paul came to uh, Lydia, she eagerly received the message of God's grace through Jesus Christ. This forgiveness through Jesus Christ, peace and grace from God. She received that eagerly, and she basically said, hey, uh, Paul and crew, if you call yourself Christian, you're going to be at my house. She obviously was a very powerful, strong woman, right? You're going to be at my house if you call yourself a Christian. And they said, well, I guess we're going to stay at your house. So her house became the base camp of their church in the city of Philippi. When Paul was in prison, the church at Philippians cared for him. There is at least one other church that Paul invested in that ignored him, did not visit him, did not send him any gifts. The church at Philippi visited him and sent him gifts. And so he has a wonderful relationship with Philippi. They were partners and co-laborers in the gospel. So the apostle Paul says, whenever I pray for you, church... And he says, I pray for you constantly. I pray with great, what? Joy. I pray with great pleasure because they loved each other. Paul loved them. They loved Paul. One of the things that draws me to the book of Philippians, this is now my third time really going through it with with the church. We do it about every eight years, so mark your calendar. One of the reasons I love this book is because I can relate with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul knew the church at Philippi for about three years and had a great pleasure towards the church. I have known Rancho Community Church for 40 years, so you can imagine I am like 12 times more pleasured about this church than Paul was for Philippi, so I have him beat on this. When I think of Rancho and when I pray for Rancho, it is with exceeding excitement, exceeding pleasure for this church. My whole life really has has been defined by my relationship with this church. I was at a, um, um, at a pastor's meeting just a couple weeks ago, and they said, well, how many churches have you been on staff with? Not one. How many churches have you gone to in your whole life? Well, one. This is it. This, there, is, there is no more truer family that I have that, other than my own flesh and blood than this church. I was basically raised in this church. When Rancho and the old campus built their brand new sanctuary, they opened it up to youth, and I just lived a couple blocks away, and so I basically lived in that worship center because it was the only thing to do in Temecula. You either tip cows or go to Rancho Community Church. (laughs) In high school, I had true community in high school. I mean, it was a great group of people. A lot of us are still connected uh, today, to this very day, a great high school youth group. This is one of the reasons why we're so committed to the next generation, children's and Club 45 and middle school and high school and why we have a school here is because we're so committed to youth. It's in our DNA, right? I had a great um, mentorship with uh, Brad Fogel, my youth pastor at the time. He and I are still connected. I have a friendship with his successor, Todd Anderson. He and I are having lunch in a couple weeks. Great partnership with Todd Bordeaux, who was sent from Rancher to be a missionary. I then came after Todd Bordeaux to be a youth pastor way too young and single. And so they basically said, you are going to marry Jenny, right? Um, yeah, if I have to, to get the job, I will. And they, okay, you have to. I'm kidding. <laughs> Got married at the church, met Jenny at the church. Um, this church loved my family. I've detailed that a lot here. We were kind of a mess. They loved me and my messed up brother and my messed up parents and, and walked with us to make our family really whole and wonderful. They let me run youth ministry the way I felt like God called me to run youth ministry. This church was very conservative and a little on the older side at the time. And um, I had a youth ministry that I wanted to be for the whole community, not just church kids. And there were some families that just wanted a little protective ministry for church kids. I'm like, that's going to bore me to death. Have you seen these church kids? We, <laughs> we want a youth group for the whole community, right? And so we welcomed everybody in. The way Rancho welcomed me back in the dark ages, we want to welcome everybody, right? And we had uh, quite a scene going on, and we destroyed a lot of church property. 
And so I, every once in a while, I come before the, the staff and they said, you know, could you just try not to destroy this sacred communion table again? Can you try not to start another fire? Yes, I'll, I'll try, but keep going. They kept saying, keep going, keep going. And they fueled it, right? And they fueled it. And it, it was awesome for a church to, to do that. Steve Strickmans was my mentor for decades. Our founding pastor served here 37 years and then handed the baton off to me. He and I are still buds today. A board that cared about the church and some of the board members, a lot of the board members that have served over the decades are here in this service today, always loving the church, always caring for the church, always making sure we're on mission, an absolute passion for this congregation. Uh, Always had the courage to stretch, to be challenged, to build, to grow, to try new things, to reach our ever-changing community. Multi-generational church, increasingly diverse church. Next generation and leadership is always the priority. Taking on humanitarian uh, ministries here locally and globally, which we celebrate all the time. And then next year, we're going to celebrate our 50th anniversary. It's quite a legacy uh, here in Temecula. So I love this church and love you all for sure. It's a great pleasure to be a part of what's going on here. So I understand the Apostle Paul's heart for the Philippians. I share that heart, and I think it's probably even deeper than Paul. So what is the chatter in our heads? The chatter in our heads is this. We are partners and friends with a rich heritage advancing the cause of Christ together. That's the chatter in our heads. We belong here. We don't have to pretend. No pretension here. All, all we have to do is show up, be honest, share life with each other, get to know each other, maybe be a part of a small group, maybe serve and just be a part of the life of advancing the cause of Christ together. Our final verse of the day uh, in Philippians 1 is Philippians 1.6. It says this. It's the key verse, and we will uh, come back to this verse quite a bit during this, uh, the remaining four weeks. Being confident of this, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God wants us confident. He wants us absolutely confident. And that's the key word. That's the key word of Philippians, confidence. That all this discouragement, all all the stuff in our head that that kind of makes us stuck, God wants that discouragement replaced with absolute confidence. And confidence is the key to everything. Confidence is the key to everything, right? Right? Nothing meaningful happens without confidence. If you don't have confidence, you'll get stuck right where you're at. If you don't have confidence, worry about what other people will think will haunt you. If you don't have confidence, you will not stand up for what's right. All this junk that's happening with Harvey Weinstein and, and other moguls of Hollywood and, and uh, you know, Bill O'Reilly, why is it that they were able to abuse and mistreat so many women over so many decades? It's because the chatter in people's heads who knew what was going on refused to step up and have the courage to say this is wrong and somebody's got to do something about it. A lack of confidence will say yes to too many things because you're afraid to disappoint people. A lack of confidence will lead to indecision because you're afraid to be wrong. A lack of confidence will prevent you from making new relationships or building into healthy relationships. A lack of confidence will allow you and cause you to be trapped in dysfunctional relationships and even abuse. A lack of confidence will buckle when things get tough. A lack of confidence creates fear of the future. A lack of confidence settles for less and settles for mediocrity. A lack of confidence swirling around in our brain can be very destructive. But everything meaningful happens with confidence. With confidence, we can step into the unknown boldly. With confidence, we can pour into new relationships and build healthy relationships. With confidence, we can say, no, this relationship is dysfunctional and I deserve better. Confidence will allow us to create new ideas and new solutions and develop teams around those solutions. Confidence will allow us to get up on stage or an athletic 
field. Confidence will allow us to volunteer or lead. Confidence is the fuel of success. Confidence will allow us to stand up against injustice and stand up for those who are victimized. Confidence will allow us to stand up for the powerless and to give voice to people who have no power. Confidence refuses to be talked into bad decisions. Confidence is so valuable. And Philippians will instill confidence in us. Now, I'm not talking about overconfidence, right? Overconfidence is a belief that you can do anything, whether it's reasonable or not. We can't do anything we want to do. We can't be anything we want to be. If you tell your kids that, you're lying to them. I cannot be an NFL player. I can't do it. It's not possible, right? So there are simply things we can't do. Anything that he has ever played on TV, don't be him, right? Danny McBride, some of you know who he is. Uh, There's naive confidence. Naive confidence is a belief that everything will just work out wonderfully. So that's that's Sue Heck or Kimmy Schmidt. Don't be Sue Heck or this lady here, uh, Kimmy Schmidt. That's just, oh, everything's going to be working out fine. So we're not talking about overconfidence. We're not talking about naive confidence. And we're not talking about self-confidence. Self-confidence is a belief that I am better than others. I'm going to go out there and do it, and I'm going to take that job. I'm going to take this, take this, take that. That's kind of the, the Larry David thing. I don't know how many of you have seen Curb Your Enthusiasm, but don't be him. Don't be Larry McBride. Don't be Kimmy Schmidt. Don't be those people. Right? We're not talking about overconfidence, naive confidence, or self-confidence. God wants to be, us to be confident in him. Isn't that what belief is? Isn't that what faith is? Isn't that what trust is? See, confidence detailed in the book of Philippians is a confidence in God's work in us. That's what's going to be rolling around in our head. Not I can do it and I'm the best. Not, oh, everything's just going to work out great. But God is walking this life with me through it all for a very good purpose. A very good purpose. See, confidence is a trust, a belief, a certainty about the abilities or good qualities of somebody or something. God is wanting to give us confidence in him and the work that he's doing in our lives. What's the work he's doing in our lives? It's this, Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that in all things, whether good or bad, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also destined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. What's the work of God that he will see through to the end? God is in the business of making us like Jesus Christ. God is in the business of making us like Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes there's a little disconnect between what we want from God and what God wants from us. Very often what we want from God is for God to make our life easy, right? Let's examine our prayer life. God, fix this, fix that. I have a problem, fix that. Fix this health problem, fix this financial problem, fix this relationship problem. Fix, 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 make my life easy. When we pray, we're praying, God, make my life easy. God is, I think, responding pretty clearly through his word and saying, I'm just not about making your life easy. I'm about making you like Jesus Christ. And so I just want to encourage us as we study the book of Philippians to just kind of tweak that little thought in our head because that will haunt us. God, you love me, therefore you should make my life easy. That's, the, that's swirling around in our brains. And when our life doesn't go particularly easily, then our brains can say, well, who's failing? Is God failing or am I failing? Am I not praying right? Is God really not powerful? Does he not care? Is, it any, is this even any real? Am I real? I don't know. We can get all kinds of mess. If we can turn our head to say God's work in us is to make us like Jesus, and that becomes our prayer. God, I'm struggling in this relationship. I'm struggling with this health deal. Somebody I love is struggling. God, I'd like that to be fixed. But in everything, good and bad, 
would you make me like Jesus? And I'm telling you, if that change of mind would set deeply in you, watch what God does. This work that he started will be completed. And that work will continue to the day of Christ, meaning the day where all things are made new. So it's a good long work, so be patient. God is in the business of making us like Jesus. He's not in the business of making our life easy. He's in the business of making us like Jesus. If we understand that that is God's work and be totally confident in that and all the negative thoughts and and things swirling around in our head that condemn us, you're not worthy, you're not good enough, you're just a sinner, you're second class, God's disappointed with you, you can't do it. If we can destroy all those things and let the truth of Philippians fill our brain, we are saints of God declared perfect. We are worthy of God's grace and peace. We are partners and friends together advancing the cause of Christ and God is very hard at work in us to make us like Jesus. If that could be the chatter in our brains, watch what God does to transform our lives, to transform our families, to transform this church as we transform the world around us. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your grace and your goodness through Christ Jesus. Thank you that your grace and forgiveness is not about anything we have done. It's not about any good work. It's not about any religion. It is simply a work of grace that you've done on our behalf. And your word is very clear. We were forgiven before the foundation of the earth. We were forgiven before we made the first mistake. Everything we will ever do in the future that is wrong is already forgiven in Christ. You have declared us a saint. We are perfect in your eyes through Christ. You've declared us your perfect sons and perfect daughters. You have filled us with grace and peace, none of which we deserve, but we eagerly, eagerly receive. God, you have called us together to be thousands of friends advancing the cause of Christ the way that Paul and and the Philippians were um, brothers and, and sisters together. God, you have knit us together and you are doing a work in us that will be completed until the very end. And so God, we, we will always lift up our cares and our burdens before you because you care for us. But may our primary prayer be that you would make us like Jesus Christ that you would make us as gracious, as forgiving, as kind, as generous, as selfless as Jesus Christ, that you would make us a servant like Jesus Christ, that you would have us be a force of love in our community like Jesus Christ. God, that's our prayer. And if we set our mind to that, if the chatter in our heads is set to this reality that you have empowered us and are working in us to be like Jesus Christ so that the full work of Christ can be seen and felt and experienced in this community, God, our confidence is in you, not in our ability to do it, but in your ability through us to make us like Jesus. That's our prayer. We submit ourselves to that. In Christ's name we pray and everybody said, amen.